What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show, and thank you to everybody who asked a question on my Instagram the other day. Today's episode will be a Q&A style podcast, so I'm diving in a little bit deeper on some of the questions that you guys had for me, and I'm excited because we'll be able to get through all of them today. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. The first question that we have today is, I'm a female new to lifting. Should I be taking creatine? Now, uh, before we jump into the question, why would anybody take creatine? What are the benefits of taking creatine and what are the potential downsides of, of taking creatine? Well, the benefits of taking creatine come from an increase in power and strength and thereby an increase in muscle mass because you'll be able to lift heavier and harder during your workouts. So when you have more power and strength, that equates to really an increase in muscle mass over time. And I think it's important to note that there's a lot of emerging research now that's showing some cognitive benefits of taking creatine as well. Now, how does creatine work? I'm going to talk about this very briefly, but when you perform short bouts of intense exercise, like sprinting or lifting weights, most of that exercise is fueled by ATP. Actually, all your exercise in some degree is fueled by ATP, but specific to weight training and resistance training, a lot of that strength and power is fueled by ATP. Now, when you use ATP, it becomes ADP. So it loses one of the P's and it goes from adenosine triphosphate to adenosine diphosphate. Long story short, you, you lose one of those P's. Now, in order to use ATP again, that ADP needs another P to become ATP again. So, you know, you can use that again and you can be performing at your best, but your body uses creatine to bring ADP back to ATP. Creatine will actually lend a phosphate over to ATP, sorry, over to ADP to create ATP again. Now, supplementing with creatine will give your body more creatine stores. So that process of creating that ADP back to ATP will go more efficiently and faster so that you can have better workouts. When you're regenerating ATP faster, you're going to have more power for each set. And thus, over time, that is what equates to more muscle mass. Now, in terms of cognitive benefits, your brain also uses a lot of ATP as well. So... It's the exact same process. When you use ATP, it becomes ADP, and your body's creatine storm stores lend this phosphate to that ADP so it turns back into ATP again, and you can utilize it and continue on with whatever cognitive or physical function that you're using it for. So all of those are really good reasons to take creatine. I mean, it's, it's a pretty compelling argument, right? I mean, you have improved strength, improved power, improved muscle mass, and there's new kind of emerging research that shows cognitive benefits as well. So it sounds like a pretty good idea. Um, but are there any downsides? Honestly, creatine is one of the most well-researched supplements, if not the most well-researched supplement. And we've yet to see any downsides in longitudinal research or these 30-year studies. And, and creatine is a supplement that occurs naturally in food. So it's not like you're taking some exogenous chemical that your body doesn't make. And it's, it's not like you're ingesting or injecting testosterone. It's, it's none of those things. It's, it's something that's found in food. And it's mostly found in animal proteins, which 
is why if you're a vegan or a vegetarian listening to this, chances are creatine should be at the top of your list of supplements that you should be taking. But when you supplement with creatine, all you're doing is topping off your body's creatine stores. You're essentially allowing your body to, to have a full creatine tank, right? And from which that can donate the phosphates over to the ADP to create that ATP, which will allow you to continue working hard. Now, the downside of creatine, some people might bring up or you might hear or see, um, is like this idea, like, I'm just going to gain a bunch of water weight and I'll be bloated all the time. And honestly, that actually happens a whole lot less than what people think. It's, it's not a myth that it doesn't happen, but it's, it's overstated. And not only is it overstated, but you know, we, we hear the words water retention and we get really scared because we think that's, you know, that it's this like end all be all. And, and all of a sudden you're going to look super bloated, but that's just not the way it works. Uh, when you take creatine and there is water retention, um, but a lot of that water retention is within the muscle. So it's not like you're all of a sudden, you know, your belly is going to be super bloated that the water retention often happens within the muscle. So you actually look bigger and stronger in the places you actually want to look bigger and stronger in. Um, so you're not arbitrarily just retaining water in your gut or your love handle. So um, just remember, that's, that's really not how it works. Um, so with that being said, the only potential downside, um, well, I guess with that being the only potential downside, you know, it honestly makes a pretty strong argument to take creatine. Now, are there populations that shouldn't take creatine? Honestly, no. Like likely all populations can really benefit from taking creatine, especially the the elderly and the geriatric crew, because um, there's actually been research that shows that it can help fight sarcopenia and uh, muscle degra uh, degradation, um, where creatine has kind of been shown to be extremely beneficial in those populations. And for the same reasons, it's beneficial to all populations. A lot of times in the fitness space, creatine can be seen as this supplement that's only for the bros who are trying to get like super jacked, right? And, and women's can really, women can really shy away from it. But I mean, let me tell you this, it's, it's not just for the gym rats. Okay. Like my wife takes creatine. My 60 something year old uncle takes creatine and I'd argue that everybody should take creatine and it really falls under the category of supplements that won't hurt and will likely help you. And uh, that's not a lot of supplements. It's a very short list. There's really no downside and there's, there's plenty of upside. And now if we, I guess, refer to like the big rock, little rock analogy, when looking at your overall health and nutrition and fitness is creatine a big rock that's going to double your bench press or put on 150 pounds to your squat? Like, definitely not. But it, it has been shown to increase your power and strength, which increases your muscle mass. And again, there's a lot of good research emerging that's showing cognitive benefits. So there's really not a good reason not to take it. And I guess I should also mention and bring up the financial argument when it comes to supplements, um, which is legit. And you might say, I don't want to pay a lot of money for supplements. Can I just eat food and, and do great that way? And I don't need to spend all this money on supplements. hundred percent you can. And that's, that's honestly what I encourage most people to do. Um, you're not all of a sudden going to get strong overnight or double your lifts, you know, in a month, but creatine, creatine is extremely cheap. And you can probably get like an entire year's worth of creatine for like 50 bucks. So 
to recap, creatine, it's cheap. It's, it really has no downside. It's well studied and it's been reliably shown to have a ton of benefits. So the answer to the previous question, you know, I'm a female trying or new to lifting. Should I be taking creatine? The answer is probably yes. Now, should you focus on taking creatine more than you focus on your nutrition and your workouts and your recovery days and your sleep and your protein and your carbs and your hydration? Absolutely not. You know, but if you're focusing on all those other areas of your plan and you're executing on that and you know that creatine might help a little bit, you can absolutely take it. Um, and if you do take it, I'd recommend taking three to five grams per day. No, you do not need to do the loading phase in the first week, like it says on a lot of the brands that you might buy. Um, and you can take it whenever you want throughout the day. Timing timing doesn't matter. Um, and you can also take it in powdered form or you can take it in capsule form. I, I personally take it with powder and I put it with my protein powder and it it's tasteless. It doesn't taste like anything. So multiple ways to take it. But it, it, creatine, it's, it's going to help and it's not going to hurt. And it's, it's not going to turn you into this like mega meathead. And if you retain water, you're going to retain water in the muscle cells, which can help you look stronger and fuller and more toned or whatever adjective that you want to use there. So I hope that answers your question. But yeah, creatine, creatine is, uh, is a good supplement. Next question. I'm not skinny but I'm not fat. Should I bulk or should I cut first? Now, uh, the term that you might hear, I guess a lot of people say, or, you know, see in the media or on social media to kind of describe this predicament um, of not being skinny, not being fat is the word skinny fat. And that's not my favorite word or description. Uh, but for those of you who don't know what skinny fat, you know, quote unquote is, it's, it's a body composition where you're not overweight and you're not very heavy, but you also don't have a lot of muscle and you'll likely, you likely have more body fat, uh, than you want. Um, so you're kind of in this middle ground, not being overweight, but at the same time, not being lean or super toned with, with muscle definition. Um, you're kind of in this middle ground of needing more muscle and less fat to help get you to where you want to be kind of physique wise. And now what I will say, you know, looking back at this question is I'm proud and pretty damn impressed that this person recognizes that they have to do both at some point. Um, most people, and I'm talking to everybody now, the body that you want has way more muscle and less fat than you do right now. So between, you know, where you are now and where you want to go, you will likely have to go through some muscle building phase and some cutting phases um, throughout that process. And this idea that you're going to, you know, cut your way or calorie deficit your way into the body of your dreams is, it's just super unlikely, you know, unless you're starting off with a ton of muscle match, which I mean, let's be real. Most of us, most of us aren't, we wish we were, but anyway, so, you know, the way this question was phrased, which should I do first? Again, it, it impresses me because it shows me that you're recognizing that you're going to have to do both at some point. A lot of people just think that, you know, I'm just going to get really, really lean and that's it. You know, I'll be at my goal. But a lot of times what happens is you shed off weight, you lose a bunch of body fat and you end up 
not liking the way that you look because again, the, the body that you want and the body that you have pictured in your head has a lot more muscle than you do right now. So going through some periods dedicated to muscle building is super important, which means you need to eat in a surplus and you'll have some intentional weight gain with that, which is scary. I know, but chances are, you know, the body that you want, it requires some of that at some point. So again, circling back to the question, if, if you're skinny fat, quote unquote, um, which means you're at a relatively low body weight and a relatively lower body fat percentage, um, but you're not that lean and you also don't have that much muscle and you know you need to do both, like which one should you prioritize first? Now, I will say that usually this, question's from, usually this question comes from somebody who has you know enough fat that going into a surplus right away probably isn't the best thing. So I'm just going to start by taking that answer off the table because there's a couple more kind of directions that we can go towards, but that usually isn't the, the way that I push people towards in the beginning, um, which kind of brings us to our second option, which is eating around maintenance and focusing on body recomposition. So instead of going into a surplus to maximize muscle gain, Usually people asking this question are also relatively new to training and they oftentimes don't, they don't even need, they don't need a surplus to build muscle quickly in the beginning because they're new to training and the training stimulus is, is very novel, you know, so you could either eat around your maintenance calorie range and maximize your body recomposition. So you'll be burning fat and building muscle at the same time, which can really create a really nice and kind of net benefit on your physique long-term. Uh, or you could go into, uh, I guess our third option, you could go into a calorie deficit and still benefit from some body recomposition where you would be building a little bit of muscle in a deficit. Now, I, I need to say this because not everybody can have recomp um, in a calorie deficit, meaning not everybody can build muscle while you're eating less than what you know your body um, needs on a day-to-day basis. And there's only really certain circumstances where this is possible, um, or it's even going to happen to kind of an appreciable degree. And that's if, if you're new to training and that training stimulus is so novel that you, you don't need kind of an excess in calories to stimulate muscle growth. Um, these are the people that kind of piss us off the most because (laughs) those are the people that just look at a dumbbell and they just grow. Right. Um, so if you're new to training, you can, you can do body recomposition. And more often than not, the person asking this question is relatively new to training. So you can embrace this recomposition while eating at maintenance calorie range or eating in a calorie deficit too. Um, so the second kind of, I guess, scenario that you can see an appreciable amount of body recomposition is if you're coming off of a layoff or kind of a a long break from the gym, Uh, maybe you took some time off of training or you super long vacation, or maybe you were injured. And when you start lifting again, you're going to start to regain that muscle that you once had. And it's, it's going to happen relatively quick or quicker than it, it would than you putting that muscle on, you know, from the beginning. So you're essentially utilizing this muscle memory to build, um, to build your muscle mass back to where it was. And you can also be losing fat at the same time if you're in a calorie deficit doing that as well. So Um, and then the third scenario where you can really benefit from, from body recomposition is maybe you've been training for a couple of years and maybe you've, you know, quote unquote, like paid attention to your nutrition and diet for, you know, a year or two, but you've never really 
dialed your nutrition and your training in together at once, you know, or you've never gotten a properly designed, like high volume, proper intensity resistance training program and got yourself to kind of this optimal calorie range and macro distribution. And we're really consistent with that for kind of an extended period of time. If you've been lifting and, you know, telling yourself that you've been eating clean or eating healthy, you know, for however long, there's a good chance that you still have some room to grow and recomp if you turn all of those, you know, knobs up in the right direction. Um, If you get on a really good program that focuses on progressive overload and you dial in your nutrition, you know, you still have some potential to make some of those newbie gains that you see others making that are pretty brand new to lifting. So again, back to our original question, you know, which should you do first? Um, We've taken eating in a calorie surplus off the table. And what we have less left is, is eating around maintenance or going into a slight calorie deficit. So, and honestly, no matter which one you choose of those, make sure you're eating enough protein and make sure you're on, you know, a proper resistance training program. And honestly, you'll see really great body recomposition results. Um, you'll see fat loss and you'll see, you know, an increase in muscle mass at the same time. So whichever you decide to do, you'll enjoy and see a relatively quick net improvement in your physique, um, because of that. So, you know, between those two, if you think you'd enjoy being a little bit leaner in the near future, maybe you're traveling or it's spring or it's summer or, you know, you have an event coming up or you want to start maybe a muscle building phase from a a leaner starting point in the future. I could argue that doing your cut right now, you know, could be a good idea. And again, remember for whichever one of those options that you do decide on, keep your protein up. Um, I'd recommend about 0.8 to one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Um, and just getting in enough lifting and, and really just enjoy the, the body recomposition while it lasts because it doesn't last forever. Right on. Um, next question is, how long should I be in a deficit before I take a prolonged break? Love this. Um so before we start, I, I again kind of want to highlight some of the words from the, from the question, um, highlighting the words prolonged break um, from this question, because really uh, this question isn't asking how long I should be in a deficit before taking like a one to two week diet break. This question is asking like, how long should my cutting phase be before I take a prolonged break at maintenance? And Uh, I have to give kudos to this person as well, because you realize that being in a deficit has a timeline to it. When in reality, people fall in love with the idea of losing weight and they end up trying it like two to five times per year sometimes. And um, looping back to the question, you know, that we kind of just answered before this question, people are really trying to calorie deficit their way into the, into a body that just doesn't exist yet. So, you know, talking about how long your deficit should be, um, I want to keep in mind that we're talking about time spent in an actual deficit. And that's you actually knowing what your calories are, sticking to those calories consistently, spending an adequate amount of time, uh, you know, at that actual calorie range. Not, you know, not... 
I've been trying to lose weight for six months now and it's just not happening. The scale's not moving. It's just not working. Like I'm broken, you know, cause we all know those people. Um, and really when people say that, what that tells me is that you've been thinking about losing weight and maybe some days or some weeks you've been intentionally trying to cut back on calories and, you know, quote unquote, eat clean and exercise. And you're doing all the things that you believe should equate to, to weight loss or rapid weight loss. When in reality, some weeks you're probably in a deficit. Some weeks you're probably not, you're probably not keeping track of your calories. You had, you know, three weekends where you're traveling or out of town. Uh, maybe it's the summer or the holidays and you're drinking more socially or eating more socially on the weekends. And, I'll admit, you know, trying to lose weight is psychologically exhausting and it's fatiguing. And it, at some point you should take a break to give your body and your mind a chance to just like take a breather before trying to lose weight again and again and again. So with that being said, you know, these parameters that I'm about to discuss are within the context, you know, of time actually, you know, being spent in a calorie deficit. Time spent actually losing, you know, 0.5 to 1% of your body, you know, weight, um, body weight each week. So a good rule of thumb for a cutting phase length is, is about eight to 12 weeks. And maybe, you know, you can get away with closer to 16 weeks in some cases if, if you're using diet breaks a little bit more often and, and being intelligent with that. And an additional constraint would be, you know, you should probably take a break every time you lose about 10% of your body weight within kind of a weight loss phase. Um, now I guess why, like we can ask, why do we need a diet break? You know, like, why can't you just try to lose weight for six months or nine months and, you know, try to be in a deficit for, for a full year? Well, a general reason why you should take a diet break is because by taking breaks, you will allow your body to re-regulate at a new normal. So, you know, that, well, I'll take a step back. You know, re-regulating at a new normal and in following, or I guess future diet phases to come, you know, you will be able to cut again and it will be much easier to lose weight in the future if you take breaks periodically in between those, you know, cuts and calorie deficits. So what happens across a diet phase? Well, the longer you're in a deficit, the more diet fatigue that you'll likely experience, the longer that you go, both psychologically and physiologically. Now, what does that look like? You know, it's, it's poor sleep. It's an increase in stress hormones like cortisol. It's an increase in hunger. It's an increase in cravings and it's a decrease in satiety. Um, it's an increase in food focus. And there's also an increase in this metabolic adaptation, which usually comes from a decrease in NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And, you know, more importantly too, your performance starts to decline as well. Your energy starts to suffer. So uh, all of that is pretty bad stuff, yes. Um, but the goal is weight loss, so you're going to deal with that at you know some point of this process. But you really get to decide if the juice is worth the squeeze. But the longer that you're in a deficit, the more this stuff is going to come on, and eventually you're going to want to get out of that deficit before it comes on too strong. So to recap, ideally, you're going to want to be in a cutting phase for about 8 to 12 weeks, losing about 0.5 to 1% body weight per week. 
um, you can maybe push that cut to 16 weeks if you're using diet breaks more frequently and you're, you're being smart with that. And again, an additional kind of constraint would be, you know, if you lose about 10% of your body weight in a cutting phase, you should probably take a maintenance phase and take a diet break, um, after you lose that weight. Now, how long is that diet break or maintenance phase, um, that we're talking about? And, you know, that's a good question. And a good rule of thumb is probably just as long as your cutting phase was. So if you were in a cut for 12 weeks, it's probably a good idea to take a 12 week maintenance break. And that maintenance break is meant to, again, undo those consequences that we talked about previously, uh, the inevitable kind of side effects of being in calorie deficit for a period of time, like poor sleep or performance, increase the stress hormones, um, hunger, cravings, metabolic adaptations, you know, all that stuff that makes it more difficult to stay in that, you know, cutting phase. And we want to undo all of that as much as possible. We want to get your body back to baseline. We want to get it back to feeling really good again and back, you know, just to being in a better psychological state as well. And again, you know, if you do want to cut again, uh, you know, after that maintenance phase is over, like we have to make sure that your body and it's in a good space to do that before you go into another calorie deficit. Because if you continue cutting beyond that 12 week mark, beyond that 16 week mark, and you know, if you've been using diet breaks and you're, you're going to see those side effects come on quicker and quicker and quicker, the longer you go and your symptoms are going to be steeper and uh, honestly more uncomfortable. And honestly, it's a good thing because it's your body doing its job because it, it thinks you're starving. But what, what a lot of people, what a lot of people will do is like maybe around that 12 week mark, you know, things are going all right. You're losing weight still. And instead of taking a diet break, we get addicted to the progress and we get addicted to the scale continuing to move down. And instead of doing the smart thing, which would be hitting the pause button temporarily and allowing our body to kind of re-regulate as much as possible to this new normal, we keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And all too often what starts to happen is you set yourself up um, because those symptoms come up because those symptoms will come on so strong. You set yourself up for weight regain. You know, your cravings are through the roof. Your metabolic adaptation is low. Your, your workouts suck. Your performance sucks. You're not sleeping well. Your cortisol levels are through the roof. And it's all of that is just not a good combination for us kind of a successful like fat loss and weight um, maintenance phase or even for a successful life for that matter. So taking that break will really allow you to re-regulate at a new normal, you know, set you up for another future cutting session if you choose to do that and if that's what's important to you. Um, yeah, and honestly, just just being happier and a, and a happier person all around, which is also a huge benefit too. Because no one likes no one likes us when we are hangry and pissed off all the time. So, um, yeah, taking that break will really just allow you to re-regulate. Um, I guess we backtrack a little bit. You know, if you finish your cut and you're still not at your goal weight, taking a diet break for kind of a minimum of like you know two thirds of the time that you're in a deficit. So between two thirds and the full length of time 
um, that you spent in that cut would be kind of the minimum amount of time that I'd recommend to hang out at maintenance before starting your next cut again. But let's say, let's say that you go way less than that and you have a 12 week cut and a two week break and you feel great. And maybe you feel good after two weeks, which honestly is highly unlikely. Usually it takes about four weeks to start feeling good again when you're eating back up in your maintenance calorie range and you're feeling better, you have more energy, you have pretty solid sleep, and you think you're feeling like yourself again. And let's say, you know, you feel okay after those two weeks and you hop right back into a deficit. All of those symptoms are going to come on a whole lot quicker because you really, you really weren't back at baseline. Maybe you felt okay, but your body still needed more time to adjust and, and just to start feeling really good again. So if you go, you know, way less than the recommended break at maintenance, you're really just going to see those diet symptoms come on a whole lot quicker that second time around when you enter your next cut or when you cut your calories again. I'll also say that these maintenance, kind of these maintenance phases become a lot more important with the more cutting cycles that you do. So the more often that you cut, um, and the more you do consecutive cutting phases, the more you should prioritize these longer maintenance phases to make sure you're re-regulating kind of at your new normal. And the further you get away from your starting weight, the more you need to be telling your body like, hey, we're not going back. This is our new normal. This is where we're going to hang out. This is our new maintenance calorie range, okay? So again, to recap, I recommend an eight to 12 week kind of cutting face, maybe 16. Again, if you're using diet breaks and you're adherent week to week and, um, you know, everything is, is going, it's going smoothly. Uh, we really want to avoid diet fatigue and metabolic adaptations, both, you know, physiological and psychological. And after that really shoot for spending the same amount of time at maintenance as the time you spent in your cut before you go into another calorie deficit again to try and lose even more weight. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I know some of you are listening and thinking like, damn, this is really going to drag this out. But I promise you, you know, doing it the right way the first time, even if it takes a little bit longer, it's worth it if you only have to do it once. You know, a, a lot of people struggle with weight loss and think about it in periodically try like year after year after year, right? So in the grand scheme of things, what you're thinking is the long way is actually the shortest way to your happiest life. And if you have more than like 20 pounds to lose, I need you to start wrapping your head around the fact that you're not going to do that all in one sprint. You're going to have to break it up into chunks and, um, I guess really the benefit of that is it's going to make your dieting phases easier. Um, you're going to feel better in those diet phases and you're going to feel even better during those maintenance phases as well. And instead of yo-yo dieting for like two to 20 years, uh, you can get this done in a much shorter period of time. Although it is going to require effort and attention to detail and it might seem longer in the moment, but I promise you that it'll be the best decision you make for yourself and You'll be proud of yourself when you're looking back like 10 years from now. So cool. Love it. Um, the last question that we have today is how do I sustain long-term success once new year resolution motivations dissolve? 
Man, that's a great one. First, I kind of want to talk about the motivation part of this question. Um, And there's a quote out there. I'm not sure who said it, but it goes like, there's something inherently motivating about knowing you won't always be motivated or something like that. Uh, And kind of what I take from that quote is that in those moments and weeks and, and sometimes months when you're not feeling motivated, you know that it's normal. Those feelings are normal and really that's just part of the process. There's nothing wrong with you and your motivation inevitably decreases after a period of time. Like there's nothing wrong with any of us when that happens because it happens to everybody. It's not like, ugh, like why can't I stay motivated? Why, why do I always lose my motivation? Why does it seem like this person always is, you know, so motivated all the time? And to be honest with you, not being motivated, it's just part of the process. And, and once you can internalize that, you can actually, that can actually be pretty motivating in itself. And it's a mindset that justifies the moods and attitude swings that, you know, you have along your health and fitness journey. And in those tough moments, like we need to understand that this is part of the process and there's nothing wrong with losing motivation after starting something. And I think, I think the best thing that you can do to stay motivated, honestly, is is to do the thing that you know you need to do in the face of lack of motivation, right? Like showing up, doing the work and being uncomfortable because you know, that's how you grow. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you know, the point I'm driving at is that you can't rely on motivation to keep you going because that's just going to disappear, you know, sooner rather than later. And this kind of ties into the New Year's resolution part of this question, which when we think of New Year's resolutions and goals, especially when it comes to nutrition and fitness, most people come up with these vague goals for the year, but lack an action plan to actually execute on those goals. And people can get so obsessed and hyper-focused on the outcome goals, but quit before they actually get there because they don't appreciate the process or they don't change their habits and routines that will get them to their end goal. And more importantly, you know, keep them at that goal long-term, right? Cause it's, it's all about sustainability. So patience in, and when you combine that with a constant desire for that instant gratification, it's just a perfect storm that leads to just more frustration than anything. Long-term success really comes down to making small adjustments to your daily habits and your mindset and honestly just being patient. You know, and putting a timeline on certain goals can also blind you from seeing the progress that you're actually making. You know, some some examples that I see fairly often this time of year and a lot of us see often this time of year, it's January right now. Um, and when we talk about vague goals, I think we all know somebody that said, you know, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to exercise more this year. Right. But the problem with those goals is that they're just too broad. You know, they're not specific action steps that you can actually carry out and replicate each day because pretty soon, you know, we all know that the leftover cookies are going to start talking to you, right. Or your friends are going to invite you to brunch and, and bottomless mimosas on Saturday, or you're going to hit the snooze button on your alarm and miss one of your workouts on Monday morning. Or, 
you know, you're going to go out to a show soul event and you'll overeat and binge on the pizza and the beer and the pasta and the fries and the desserts or whatever else is there. And a lot of these kind of decisions can stem from the relationship that you have with the food um, that you're eating and kind of that story that you're telling with yourself when you're working towards those vague goals that we, that we came up with. And to be honest, a lot of people tend to overthink their nutrition and fitness choices, you know, especially with new year's resolutions, you know, they, they kind of worry about what diet plan they should follow or whether they should be on a low carb diet, which (laughs) probably isn't the best idea. Um, or they think about all the foods that they should cut out and eliminate when in reality, the lowest hanging fruit is their environment. It's their daily routine and their schedule. It's their habits, right? Which are all things that influence your nutrition choices. Other examples of, of goals that I hear, you know, are like, I just want to eat more protein and I want to eat more vegetables and I, I want to eat more fiber and drink more water, or I want to cut out processed foods and eat more whole foods. But if your lifestyle doesn't provide the context or environment that encourages you to make those choices, it's really hard to stay consistent. And motivation is only going to take you so far until that road starts to get really bumpy. Most people, most people stick to their diet plan for a month, maybe two months if they're lucky. But those people who kind of sustain their progress long-term are those who permanently adjust their lifestyle and they, they align that with their goals. So for example, like when you implement, let's say a morning routine, right? And, and you prioritize that every single day. You might find that you have more time to make a more satisfying and satiating breakfast, which can prevent you from overeating later in the day. Or, you know, when you schedule times in your week to go grocery shopping and meal prep, you'll find yourself eating at home more often throughout the week and will be less likely um, to eat more calories away from home and at restaurants throughout the week or going to lunch throughout the week. Or when you, let's say we have an an evening routine, right? Maybe you get better sleep at night. So you feel more energized throughout the day and you're less likely to rely on simple carbs and caffeine and energy, energy drinks to get you through the day. Or when you prioritize stress management with this kind of intentional self-care, you know, stress eating and relying on other destructive behaviors, it's a lot less of a problem. Eating healthy only becomes difficult when your lifestyle is kind of working against you. So, you know, when you change the way you live, the way you eat, the way you exercise and the way you talk to yourself will also all improve and they'll also change. So circling back to the question again, you know, motivation is cool until you don't have it anymore, but appreciate the fact that it's transient, you know, and don't beat yourself up when you inevitably, you know, lose some of it or all of it at some point. But as we, as we start the year, you know, or, or literally anytime we start anything, um, it doesn't have to be new years. Um, I want you to set more specific goals. You know, I want you to focus on the behaviors that can get you to those goals. And I want you to celebrate the kind of the small wins as they come, you know, and be patient as hell, because that's, that's the reality that we need to accept when we're trying to change our life. And above all else, like look at your environment, you know, look at the way you live and make sure you're creating a lifestyle that 
will help you sustain that progress long-term because a diet without a supportive lifestyle will always be temporary. And honestly, any goal without a supportive lifestyle will always be temporary. Whether it's a financial goal, business goal, relationship goal, fitness goal, be honest with yourself when you're, you know, looking at your lifestyle and make the change that you know is necessary, even if it's uncomfortable and even if you don't want to do it, because chances are that's the thing that's been holding you back the most. Oh man, I hope that answered your question. And that's actually the last one for today. So before I hop off, I want to thank all of you again for asking those questions. Um, and thank you all for listening to the episode today. And until next time, remember to eat with a purpose, train with intention, and think with confidence as you work towards your own nutrition and fitness goals. All right, everybody. Have a good one. And I'll talk with you soon. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.